Well, good afternoon, everyone, and I do thank you for joining us today. New Hope Radio, glad to be with you on 1590 on the AM dial, 92.7 FM WARV, also streaming live on Facebook and YouTube at New Hope Christian Church, Facebook, and YouTube. You can go to nhnewhopecc.tv and click either one. Thank you for joining us today. Got a very special program today. I have uh, my good friend, Pastor Dave Alcorn, with me here in the studio. And also, we have a guest, Attorney Andrew Beckwith, President of MFI Massachusetts Family Institute. And I'll tell you what, we got some things that we're going to address today because they're really important to the local church. So I'm glad you joined us today, and we're looking forward to some real good information on today's program. Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. And Andrew, it's so great having you with us today. So thank you for taking the time out to being with us here on the radio. Yeah, happy to do that. Uh, this is an important time for all of us as a nation to kind of reflect on what this this crisis, this pandemic means for us. And you know, particularly it has a, an impact on churches, as I think so many of us saw on Sunday, uh, not being able to worship together for most of us on Easter Sunday. Yeah, let's uh, talk a little bit, first of all, about MFI. Let people know what you guys do and some of the services that you provide. So Massachusetts Family Institute, or MFI, we're the local associate in Massachusetts for Focus on the Family. Uh, it's that wonderful international ministry started by Dr. James Dobson. Um, it's been around for decades now, and MFI's coming up on its 30th anniversary, mm. so we've been here in the Bay State. Uh, doing research, education, and advocacy on issues of family values for, again, almost three decades. And, and by family values, I, I mean primarily the uh, sanctity of life from conception all the way to natural death, and that manifests itself right now And you know, trying to fight back against some of the legislation promoting abortion on Beacon Hill, as well as assisted suicide. Um, we also advocate for natural marriage, so God's design of one man, one woman for life, um, and really the whole range of, of sex, human sexuality issues right now. We, we do research and education on our, on our website, which is mafamily.org, ma as in Massachusetts, family.org. Uh, there's a great resource for parents on the whole transgender issue, hmm. which is really exploding in our culture and in, particularly in the schools. Uh, and I will talk about most of the day is one of the other three sort of key issues we focus on, which is religious liberty, uh, both for individuals and for organizations like churches. So I'm an attorney myself, and uh, we also work closely with groups like Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, they were uh, involved actually in a church case I'll be talking about uh, out of Mississippi over the weekend, helping a church defend its rights to have a, a drive-in service. Um, so life marriage, religious liberty, those are some of the family values that we work for and try to uphold here in Massachusetts. Who would ever think that in this day and age those would even be issues? I mean, if we go back a hundred years, well, I don't think anybody even considered these would be problems today. I know, I know. <laughs> well, things are changing. Well, thank you for being with us. We're going to address some of the issues regarding church liberties and church rights. And glad to have uh, Dave, Pastor Dave Orcoin with us as well. Dave, thank you for joining us. And nice you want to start you. us off with asking um, Andrew something, asking Andrew a question about the rights that we have to gather together as local churches. Yeah. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Hey. Good morning, Pastor Dave. 
How much overreach do you think the government has taken? How much overreach do you think the government has taken with this coronavirus, these restrictions? Well, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I think we'll know a lot more in the weeks and months to come as we kind of look back through the, the current chaos. Um, but speaking you know, specifically about churches, I think even there it's, uh, it's unclear yet in Massachusetts. Now, in other parts of the country, um, we've seen a pretty strident approach from some government officials, and usually it's at the city level where they prohibit churches from even doing something like a drive-in service. Um, so I, I, I had the, the good fortune that, to go to my church's drive-in service on Easter Sunday a couple days ago, uh, and you know we all pull up to the parking lot at the appointed time. We stay in our cars. We actually rolled our windows down a little bit, but we had at least one parking spot in between us, and you had a, a skeleton crew of church staff wearing face masks, um, directing traffic, making sure everyone stayed, you know, in the cars and separated. And then just a couple of folks doing the praise and worship and the pastor uh, on a platform sort of in front of the parking lot with, with loudspeakers. So that was a way for us to, to gather, uh, you know, as the, the Bible commands us to do and as, as Christians um, desire to do, particularly on a day like Easter. But at the same time, um, you know, not put people at risk. Of spreading the the coronavirus and maintaining the the type of social distancing requirements that uh, we see hopefully being carried out at hardware stores and grocery stores and uh, yeah. medical marijuana shops and liquor stores and other places. Yeah, it's ir- ironic that those are still open in mm-hmm. in business. So is yeah, it, well, that, uh, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was going to say, how do the uh, people uh, respond to the drive-in? Service was there something that they enjoyed being more present than maybe um, streaming the service? Yeah, absolutely. It was great to see people, you know, through through car windows as opposed to the mm-hmm. windows on your computer screen and be able to wave to them and even mm-hmm. kind of, you know, sort of shout to them uh, through the through the windows. Um, and of course, it was a beautiful morning, so there really was a, a spirit of joy of, of being together, even in that limited sense. Mm-hmm. That's neat. And um, you know, this pastor uh, had gone and checked with the local police and and the local town ahead of time. Just said, "Look, this is our understanding. What we're able to do uh, under the current guidelines, and here's our plan. We want to make sure everyone's safe." Uh, and they, you know, got approval um, and went forward with it, and it went off as far as I know without a hitch. Um, and so that was a really good thing. I know there were some other uh, pastors, I think, you know, Pastor Terry and yourself, who got maybe conflicting guidance um, from the state on that question or a similar question. Is that right? Yes. I went to the uh, Swansea police, and they said they didn't have a problem with it. They wouldn't interrupt it. They said, but call the Board of Health, and we called the Board of Health, and they said the same thing, that they don't okay. have a problem with it. We're not going to interrupt it. And then... Um, but before I did that, I called the governor's office, and he okay. said, you can't do that. So we got conflict between the state, the the police department, the board of health, and the governor, and then we put a survey out to the church, and we were kind of divided, so people are still fearful of what right. the governor said. So we just, you know, we kind of held back, but um, I'm kind of wondering who's really calling the shots here. Is it more local, or is it more from the state house or who who is making the rules here 
That's a great question. I know in, in other states, both in uh, in Mississippi and then in Kentucky, where they had similar scenarios, it was actually the, at the state level they were saying that churches are essential services and can gather if they mm-hmm. practice social distancing. But then you would have local mayors or local health departments saying, no, actually, you can't do that. Mm. Uh, so that's interesting that in Massachusetts, potentially, you have the inverse. What's the reverse? Uh, the official orders coming from the governor's office here in Massachusetts um, designate you know, certain entities to be essential services or essential businesses. Um, and so they're exempt from that 10-person gathering rule, uh, but they're supposed to practice social distancing. Mm-hmm. Um that's why you see, you know, lines of people six feet apart at uh, grocery stores or hardware stores, for example, and maybe they're only allowing so many inside at a time, but they're able to have their doors open and, and uh, go about their, their business. Then you have non-essential services, you know, like a bookstore, for example, uh, can't be open to the public at all. Mm-hmm. Now, under the, the orders from the governor's office, these were, I think, sent out on the, uh, the 23rd of March and then reissued and extended on the 31st. Uh, it says the churches, temples, mosques, and other places of worship shall not be required to close their brick-and-mortar premises to workers or the public, which puts them in a different category mm-hmm. than sort of bookstore or other non-essential services. Provided, however, that such institutions and churches, etc., shall be required to comply with all the limitations on gatherings in the section below, and that's where you get that 10-person maximum. So if you, as you read that, Churches can be open; they can have people in them, but they they're cut off at ten people. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that, as a practical measure, that's going to allow most churches to do their online streaming service with a couple technicians, right. a couple uh, musicians, and a pastor, um, taking appropriate precautions, ten or less in the uh, in the building itself. Mm-hmm. Now, the next paragraph says, in that same order, this order does not prohibit gatherings of more than ten people in an unenclosed outdoor space, such as a park, athletic field, or parking lot. So when you get to a drive-in service, um, I think you've got a very strong case based on this order. It's pretty clear that that under the order, you are allowed to gather uh, in a parking lot more than 10 people, and the church building can be open. So that exact scenario where you've got the church staff uh, of less than 10 using the church building, you know, running power cables out to the uh, microphones and the speakers mm-hmm. and whatnot, um, and having people in the parking lot staying in their cars with a spot or two in between each car, and that falls right into this guidance and uh, should be permissible. So if you've got local or... So if you've got the governor's office saying you can't do that, then, then he's you know, being inconsistent with his own guidance... Um, and if you've got local officials saying that that can't be done, then that's, again, inconsistent with the clear written order here. Mm. And then you have to ask the question, why? Is it because of some form of religious discrimination? Uh, why are churches being treated any differently than, you know, let's say Home Depot. Uh, if you send all your uh, congregation down to Home Depot at 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning <laughs> and tell them to keep the windows rolled up, they could sit in the parking lot for an hour and nothing's going to be done. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. So what we've seen in, in the sort of lawsuits over the weekend in both Mississippi and in Kentucky uh, are churches saying, look, we, we want to be treated the same as these other you know, essential businesses um, where you can, you can go through a drive through restaurant where your windows roll down and food's being passed mm-hmm. and money's exchanged. 
um, that's that's a lot worse from a contamination perspective than mm-hmm. just sitting in the parking lot with the windows, certainly with the windows rolled up. Mm-hmm. So you had this uh, judge in Kentucky um, who ordered an, issued an emergency order on Saturday to allow a church in Louisville to go forward with their drive-in service after the mayor had said you can't do it. Um, really made quite the comparison that, look, you've got, you've got drive-in or drive-through liquor stores mm-hmm. are open, and people can be in the parking lot there, but churches are being told they can't. And he had this great, great line, and uh, I'm quoting here, he says, uh, the court does not mean to impugn the perfectly legal business of selling alcohol, nor the legal and widely enjoyed activity of drinking it. But if beer is essential, so is Easter. <laughs> <laughs> so he ruled in favor of the church there. Um, um, I think that was a great ruling. And, you know, if we have a specific situation here in Massachusetts where churches are being told that unlike hardware stores, grocery stores, medical marijuana shops, uh, they can't have people in their parking lots and can't gather uh, outside like the order allows for, then, then we've got to ask why, um, because that appears to be um, a violation of the church's you know, two First Amendment rights, the right to freedom of assembly, which is one of the five mm-hmm. First Amendment rights, and the right to free exercise of religion. And one thing the church should do, I mean, they should exercise caution, and they should mon- monitor the parking lot and make sure people, you know, do stay in the cars, because it is a health issue, and um, I don't think they should take advantage of the right to gather together outside and, you know, wander around and visit each other, but I think they should just accept the fact that if they have the right to meet outside and stay in their cars, I think that should suffice for now. Would you agree? Yeah, I think, you know, this is a, it's a constantly moving target. We're learning more and more every few days and trying to figure out what exactly is going on. I think originally you had a couple of pastors, one in Florida, one in Louisiana, mm-hmm. who were saying, "Oh, this is all a conspiracy. It's it's there's nothing to be worried about, uh, or that you know Jesus is going to protect us from Corona, so we're doing business as usual." And these were a couple of mega church pastors, you mm-hmm. know, packing the building, mm-hmm. um, shoulder to shoulder. That's not what we're talking about here, as you right, point out. Right. These are churches that are trying to use uh, you know creative ways to minister to people who may not have a Facebook account that they can log in through or not have access yeah. to do live services mm-hmm. or feel that, you know, biblically we should be gathering together but taking the necessary precautions. I mean, uh, the um, so the guidelines that I've seen different churches implement, including my own church, was, you know, the church is open to the half a dozen staff members, but it's close to everybody else, which means no bathroom. So my mm-hmm. wife had to make sure all the kids, everyone uses the bathroom ahead of time, you know, because there's no going into the church to, even to use the restroom. So mm-hmm. they're definitely taking these things seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it appears you've got some overzealous government officials who want to put a stranglehold even on something like that, when, again, other circumstances, uh, grocery stores, hardware stores, other places, you've got parking lots full of people. I, I was driving around yesterday just to kind of get out of the house, um, and I passed by, a, I think it was a state park, and the parking lot there was absolutely packed. Wow. Um, because it was a beautiful day, people were trying to get out, mm-hmm. and there you've got people walking by each other on these trails, which I've been on before, the beautiful trails, but, you know, that that's much more of a risk than mm. the drive-in church services. Mm. Rhode Island closed down all their parks and uh, beaches. Yeah, Rhode Island's really clamping down pretty harshly. Yeah. Um, we have folks in our church that live in Rhode Island. Our church is in Massachusetts, and we're selling yard signs. You know, there's always hope. 
Yeah, there's a picture of a cross there, and um, mm. we, have, we have folks that are afraid to come and buy a sign because they said they can't leave Rhode Island. Or they'll have to quarantine okay. themselves for 14 days. Wow. I'm like, I think that's a little extreme, but that's how fear, people are in fear. They're yeah, in fear. Yeah. Right, yeah. You know? What, what, I don't know if you would make a recommendation, but what would you say to churches that are on the fence regarding having drive-in church? Would you make a recommendation one way or the other for them? Yeah, I, I kind of like that's you know that's not my place at this point. There's I can talk about the legal question, which mm-hmm. is whether or not churches have the right to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the answer is pretty clear that they do. Okay. But the medical and sort of pastoral question, that's that's up to the pastors. And really, my mission, and this is part of our mission as a whole at MFI, is to empower the local church and defend their rights to, to minister to their flocks as they see fit uh, without the church intervening. And so that's mm-hmm. the concern that we saw here, is that you've got the state telling the church what they can and cannot do, and, and treating the church differently than um, other you know similar entities. And, and part of the confusion, I think, and you've, I guess, directly experienced this with your interaction with the governor's office, is that um, it's it's not clear whether churches, under the Massachusetts orders, have been deemed to be essential services essential or services. not. Yep. Um, if you look at the list of essential services, which is like 11 pages long, um, four, sorry, 14 pages long, you know, mm. right after uh, census workers and uh, weather forecasters, you've got workers at uh, places of worship hmm. as an essential service. That's mm-hmm. great. So you could, I mean, if you read it that, and then if that's if that's the list of it defines essential services, then churches are essential services, which means yeah. they're not capped at the ten person limit. Yeah. Which seems to somewhat contradict the order, the specific language in the order that the governor's office put out. So I put in a request to the essentially the governor's office. It's the I think it's the uh, office of housing and economic development, which uh, promulgates that list. Look, our churches, essential services or not? Can, can we get some specific clarity on that? Because this questions are cropping up, particularly on Easter Sunday. So I'm waiting for an answer on that. Um, but I think churches can make a very strong argument that that they've been designated essential services, so that 10-person limit doesn't apply to them. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm talking from a legal perspective. What churches should do pastorally and, and sort of medically is a different question, mm-hmm. um, but I do think the drive-in services we're seeing across the country that that is being recognized as, as kind of an appropriate response yeah. um, for churches to allow their people to gather, but in a way that doesn't put people at risk. Mm-hmm. And again, I think all these churches would also say, "Look, if you have symptoms, if you're not comfortable, please feel free to stay at home. We're still going to live stream." But for people mm-hmm. who do want to gather because we feel called to do that by our faith. Here's a way to do that 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 complies with the spirit of uh, the guidance um, of of maintaining social distancing. And as, as you said, there are many folks that don't have the ability to live stream, and they're left right. out in the dark. I mean, they're left out where they, you know, they could listen to Christian programming, but it's not the same as your own church. Right. And I, I think right. there should be a. a, a a way that they can somehow experience the worship service on a Sunday and yeah. drive to the church and sit in your car and just crack the window and listen. Or Many churches have little transmitters now and they can pick it up on their AM FM radio in the car and they can listen. It goes about 200 feet and they can have their yep. own little frequency as well. So, yeah, just like a drive, just like a drive-in theater. Exactly, yes. So will your church continue to do the drive-in service or was that an Easter? 
Sunday thing only. Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't I haven't talked to the pastor about that yet, um, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know the longer this sort of lockdown goes on, uh, the more we're going to get creative, and I think that's a creative way of allowing people to gather um, and somewhat get back to normal, but at the same time maintain the the precautions that are probably in everyone's best interest. Mm-hmm. Have you heard any whisperings about maybe legally the government lightening the burden a little bit? Is that circulating around at all, trying to find a time when we can maybe, you know, release some of this pressure and give a little more freedom to folks? Is there any any rumblings about that? I mean, n- nothing specific. I've seen headlines, like I think everyone has, that you know, people are starting to think about how we can open back up uh, without creating kind of some you know, a second wave of of illnesses, just not wanting to overwhelm the hospitals. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know yet. Um, but I guess what what really sort of challenged me as I looked forward to Easter last week is the thought that you know on Easter Sunday morning, gonna be, you can drive down the street and you can pull into a gas station, a liquor store, a hardware store, uh, even a pot shop. You can go and get an abortion, mm-hmm. but most you wouldn't be able to go to most churches and i think that you know that that is a that is a very sad indictment on us as as a society that we you know our government is is clearly prioritizing or or saying these other things are essential and the churches are kind of in a gray area at best so we're hoping to get some clarity on that because i think it is there is an important you know moral component to designating churches as, Mm -hmm. as essential Wouldn't what are your thoughts as pastors though on that? I just I just wanted to ask first. Isn't I thought abortion was an elective surgery? It is, but it was specifically exempted uh, early on. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, from the governor's prohibition on elective surgery. So oh. you know, if you need a knee replacement or a hip replacement, uh, wait. But if you want to kill an unborn child, go wow. straight to the head of the line and continue wow. business as usual. And these are the people that are making the decisions on if churches are essential. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Hey well, Andrew, with with yeah, the well, limited medical services available, uh, possibility of hospitals being overwhelmed, uh, shortage of ventilators. Um, I think I read in one of the articles from MFI about uh, euthanasia, the idea of kind of triaging yeah. people uh, who would be preferred over others. Can you speak to that? I know you guys are addressing that in sure. some of your articles. Yep. So that was. You know, the assisted suicide bill uh, and that that whole push um, sort of devalue life at, at the end of life uh, is something we've been concerned about for years. And so when this corona thing hit, um, I kind of immediately thought, all right, that issue is now going to be a new life because now everyone's talking about scarcity of medical resources. And, you know, who's if you, if you have to triage a population, there's going to be a real push as we've warned for years if you if you uh legalize and normalize assisted suicide it essentially becomes euthanasia because there's always going to be economic pressure as well as sort of social pressure uh for people maybe of a certain age uh or medical conditions medical conditions to not become too much of a burden uh on society And, and once you open up that dam it's gonna have you know a lot of consequences and so now with the corona issue, um, I think that's is being brought to the forefront. So there was guidance issued, I think it was by the Department of Public Health. Um, again, it's guidance, 
that says if we get to a certain point where we are over our capacity in beds and ventilators, etc., and I think ventilators was the key thing that they were talking about, then how do we triage people? And it's this whole, again, lengthy document that talks about color-coding people and uh, assessing them. And, you know, I get to kind of read through it from a, from a legal perspective that it's definitely a complex moral question, but I was concerned uh, at a minimum by some language that said um, to evaluate people by the number of life years that they had remaining um, and that that would place them in a different priority for triage. So if you, if you had a, a lower number of life years, uh, the expected life capacity, then you would get a lower priority. Mm. And even taking people off of ventilators and putting other people on because of those different expectations. Yeah. So, you know, you hear the, the term death panels. I mean, that that's what they're talking about. Now, look, if you have limited resources and more people that need them than the resources, you have to make decisions somehow. But um, pretty frightening that we're, we'd be normalizing a pr- process of, you know, putting a number, literally putting a number on people. And based on that number, that's uh, who gets the resources and who doesn't. If you normalize that, and that feeds right into assisted suicide because really the, the argument of assisted suicide is uh, once your life drops below a certain threshold of quality of life, we'll talk about you know the quality of life, then it's no longer uh, necessary to protect it legally. Right. But who gets to set that threshold? Who gets to define quality of life? We're going to talk about life years. Um, so obviously the people in the disability community, uh, people who are older, it's, they're going to bear the burden, of, bear the brunt of that. Hmm. Our, our so uh, Massachusetts far, hospital guidance that has not been implemented. Thank goodness, hmm. Andrew. We have about a minute to go. Why don't you let folks know how they can contact you if they have any questions or issues regarding their own faith walk or their church? I, I'm sure they'd love to get a hold of you. Sure, well, you can contact me directly uh, at Andrew at mafamily.org or just go to our website ma is massachusetts family mafamily.org i've got a lot of resources on our website our blogs to talk about these issues if you have any questions about your church um or or your employment perhaps if you feel like you're being discriminated against on a religious basis i've got one woman who was told she had to work sundays now um, but that's a violation of her faith so we're working with her any types of questions like that um, but when your kids are being taught in school, even remotely, this, the Planned Parenthood and its sex education agenda is even being pushed into our homes to remote learning. And a lot of resources on that. Please check out the website and feel free to get in contact. We're, we're here to help. Andrew, those, thank you so much. So much good information. We're going to have to do this again sometime. Is that okay? That would be great. I look forward to it. All right. Thank Thanks you for joining for us. Down there in South Shore. All, right. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you so much. Well, everybody, that's about all the time we have today. Thank Andrew Beckwith for being with us. Massachusetts Family Institute, what a great organization. Listen, that's it. We will see you tomorrow.